our kids, uh, we're leading us for kids' church, with their leaders, so thank you. Thank you, Jenny. How privileged we are to be able to, to share God's Word with people from all different places, all different races. But in reality, we're just one race, the human race. And be able to hear stories of what God is doing in our world. So thank you, Saved and Savi, for what God is doing through the Cambodian Church and through your life and ministry. Um, it's great. It's great to be able to, to celebrate and give thanks to God for this. This morning I want to share from the book of Ezra. Ezra chapter 3 verses 1 to 13, the whole chapter. Because we've, we've recently concluded the, the book of, of Daniel and I would like to just share just, just this one message from the book of Ezra which is a historical continuation of the events in the book of Daniel. The Babylonian Empire by now has collapsed and Persia is the new world power. Their king was Cyrus and providentially God used him to open the way for the Jews to return back home, back to Jerusalem. And so they did this, coming back home, this repatriation in a way, in, in three waves over, over a certain number of years, in three waves of immigration. So chapter 3 is about the first wave of those who were returning back to Jerusalem and the surrounding countryside. So they arrived sometime in September, but before they began to rebuild the the city and even before they began to rebuild the the temple and the, the city walls, they first rebuilt the altar of God. So we read in verses 1 and 2, when the seventh month and the Israelites, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. And then Joshua, son of Josedach, and his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates, began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, in accordance to what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So we ask ourselves the question, why did they start with the altar? And I've come up with some, some reasons. Firstly, because of its significance in the past. Now, altars in the Bible were very simple, basic things. That's how they started off anyway. The exception to this would would have been perhaps the altar in the tabernacle, which was supposed to be mobile, and later the altar in the temple, Solomon's temple, which was fixed, and that was pretty grand. But basically an altar is an elevated table or flat surface on which the sacrifice or offering may be placed. It can be made of many different materials like earth, or stones, a group of stones would be gathered together, put, piled up one on top of the other, usually in a prominent place, top of a hill, along the road, 
And this went on for many centuries. The first altar specifically mentioned in the Bible is the one erected by Noah after getting off the cruise liner. And Genesis chapter 8 verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Then we have Abraham who built altars everywhere he settled and a few places he just visited. So for example in in Genesis chapter 12 verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring or to your seed, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then in in Genesis 13 verse 4, from there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east and there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And this practice was followed by Isaac, by Jacob, by Moses, etc. So we get the picture that an altar was a spiritually significant place where God and man had met. And after the stones were gathered together, burnt offering was offered and an act of thanksgiving for God's blessing, God's protection. And those rocks, the altar wasn't pulled apart and everything put back in its place, just so that won't disturb the environment. Those rocks were left in place so anytime anyone travelled through that place, they would know that something significant had happened there, that very spot. And the story would be told. In this way, this place was marked. And generations that followed, we know the story. We know what happened between God and man and their ancestors on that spot. Now, we move forward and after 70 years in exile, many of the Jews have returned home. The very first thing that they do is to build an altar to God. What these Jews were saying was that their relationship with God was more important than their comfort, than their physical needs, than their security. Something else we note here is that after clearing some of the rubble, they found this is 70 years of rubble, right, that had been piled up, destruction of the temple. They found the old foundations of the altar and they built the new altar upon the old foundations. What this tells me is that they were rebuilding on the foundations of the past. They were making something new but building on top of that which was done before. This tells me that the application here is that we are here because of the foundations 
that have been laid here by our forefathers. These are the, the godly men and women who have been our parents, our grandparents, our pastors, our Sunday school teachers, our youth leaders, the evangelists, those, those missionaries that have gone to distant countries, many of whom paid the supreme sacrifice by, by laying their, their lives on the altar in order to bring the message to us, to our parents, to our forefathers. And then just, just to follow up on that, next week I'll be doing a sermon on the life of David Livingston just to, and, and what lessons we can learn from his life. So we want to, to build our own altars, but we can do it, we have to do it on the foundations that they have given us. That's, we don't want to start something totally new. Why? We want to build on, on what worked for them, on, on what happened between them and God, because we are coming to the same God as our forefathers. We're not going to a different idol, a different God. But there is also an important lesson here, another important lesson. Why did they build in the foundations? Why did they start with the altar? Because of the sins of the past. In the Old Testament there are specific instructions given for building these altars. In, in The instructions are found in Exodus chapter 20. Then in Exodus 27 it becomes more advanced as it had to be, like we said, it had to be portable, made of wood, covered in bronze and used in the tabernacle. Finally, they, they built the, the great temple of Solomon. The altar was something really, really special. However, the other thing that happened, the, the, the downside of what happened even under Solomon's reign is that idolatry started to creep in. It further degenerated when King Ahaz went to Damascus to visit the king of Assyria to, to thank him. Damascus is Syria, but the king of Assyria had conquered. Anyway, you need to read the story. And, and so he visited the king of Assyria who was there to thank him for helping defeat the enemy. And that, the story is found in 2 Kings chapter 16. So rather than asking God to help them deliver from the enemy, they asked the, the neighboring king to help them get out of trouble. And there Ahaz, he saw a pagan altar which he liked so much. Oh, isn't it wonderful? Wouldn't it be great if we had this back home? So a new altar was built according to pagan specs, after he sent the instructions back to Jerusalem to the high priest and said, I want a copy of this. He sent them the sketches, and so they built a copy of what he saw in Damascus. He then commanded that the daily offerings be performed on this new altar. 
His lowest point, King Ahaz's lowest point, is when he sacrificed his own son on the altar. Imagine that. He was a young king. He started as a young king, but he didn't learn the lessons. He tried to move away from God and started to follow idols. He wanted to improve on what God had given, and unfortunately, he ended up replacing it. It went downhill from there for him, for the whole nation. He then proceeded to open up drive-through altar franchises everywhere. Every corner, every place. This is what we read in 2 Chronicles 28, 24 to 25. Ahaz gathered together the furnishings from the temple of God and cut them in pieces. He shut down, he shut the doors of the Lord's temple and set up altars at every street corner in Jerusalem. You know, McDonald's in every corner. In every town in Judah, he built high places to burn offerings to other gods and arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of his ancestors. They forgot about the God of his ancestors. So, again, let's retrace this downward slide. First, the altar is built according to God's plans, God's standards, God's specs. Then the outside influences start to reshape the worship of God. Then the altar of God is made to share space with pagan altars. Finally, the altar is set aside and replaced altogether with something else. No wonder God had had enough and allowed Nebuchadnezzar to not only destroy the temple, but also destroy Jerusalem, but also the temple and all that was in it, including the altar, because it had been desecrated. What a great warning to us, to the church. The Bible says God hasn't changed, God is a jealous God. He will not share his glory with anyone. He won't share his space with anyone. We know that. So now these people came back to Jerusalem and, and some of these, a lot of these would have grown, were born in exile. So they would have been the children, the grandchildren of those who made all those mistakes, all those sins in the past. So if they could blame anyone for what happened, they would have to blame their parents, the baby boomers. You heard that one? You boomers, you consume all our resources. Houses are so expensive because of you. And the story goes on, right? In fact, they used to have a saying. They used to have a saying. Our fathers have eaten sour grapes and our teeth have been set on edge. Which basically means they made the mistakes and we're paying the price. Guys, 
No secret, most of us should know by now that our forebears were not perfect people. Take the notorious Tate family clan who were long-standing members of a church, the Tates. The chief of the clan was old dictate who insists on running everything. His brother Roe Tate wants to change everything. Aunt Aggie Tate has a knack for stirring up trouble and her husband Irritate always lands a hand. The next generation of Tates has his own characteristics. Hesitate and his wife Vegetate can't make up their minds so they choose to wait until next year or whenever a new project is suggested. Aunt Imitate would love to copy those big churches on television. Well, Dita State announces constantly that the church is doomed, while her husband Potentate promises he can lead the church out of trouble only if he can gain control. So we can spend our time dealing with the shortcomings of our parents, or the bad decisions of past generations and shift the blame for our situation in the present and start to dig up all the old stuff. And this is classic victimhood, prevalent today. You hear it all the time. No accountability for the present, for your own sins. Blame everybody else that came before. What benefit is that? What benefit is in that? So Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, addresses this tendency of ours in in Jeremiah 31, 29 to 30, where he says, in those days, the the days of the, the new covenant, which he was talking about, We will no longer be able to say, he's talking about us here, right? After Jesus. In those days, people will no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Can't say that anymore. They made the mistake. You can't say they made the mistakes and we're paying the price. You can't say that. Instead, everyone will die for his own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, his own teeth will be set on edge, you will suffer the consequences of your sins. You can't turn up to the throne of grace. Oh, what my father! Look what my father did. You had a chance to repent, and here you are. No excuses. Last week we looked at the prodigal son, right? There were no excuses. He just said, "I have sinned." It's happening against you. I'm no longer worthy. None of us are worthy. Our parents weren't worthy. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy. Only Jesus was worthy. And we are worthy through him. Through his sacrifice. So now, those who have come back have learnt the lesson 
They are prepared to seek the face of God. They did not come with their own agendas. They did not come to see who would have the most power or the most prestige. They did not come to have their own way. They came to rebuild the city, the temple, the walls. But they started with the altar of God. So why did they start with the altar of God? Because, thirdly, because of their needs in the present. Let's remember that these Jews were refugees returning back to their homeland. And even though they had been provided, a lot of the things were provided by the decree of Cyrus, the Persian king, their needs would be an absolute logistical nightmare. They had not yet planted crops, the land was fallow, they didn't have much by way of basic necessities, whether it be shelter or eating or drinking. Despite all this, they returned to God before they returned to work. Whatever we do for God, great or small, must be preceded with surrendering in prayer to God and thankful hearts. Before we get working, we need to be praying, we need to be thankful, we need to be praising. It is God who gives us the strength, it is God who supplies our needs. It's not the government, it's God. Furthermore, to complicate things, we are told that there were enemies op- that opposed them rebuilding the temple of God. And, and, and they were going to make life really difficult for them. So security was a real issue because they were exposed and unprotected. They had no standing army. They had no walls around the city of Jerusalem. So we read in verse 3, and get this, despite their fear, despite their fear, of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. This is a great decision, isn't it? In spite of their fear, God still came first. The, the enemies wanted to destroy their work, but that didn't stop them from making God first in their lives. Not everyone, as we know, not everyone will be happy to see you serve God. You will have opposition. Because courage in doing something is is not the absence of fear. Courage is steadfastness, that stickability in the presence, in the face of fear. How many times have we allowed fear to push God way down the list somewhere. Suddenly our enemies become the focus, our fear becomes our priority and we forget about the sovereignty of our great God who is always with us wherever we go. So how great, isn't it, that these needy people, for them, the altar was the centre, it was the 
the place of stability in an environment of insecurity and uncertainty all around. So many needs, so many worries everywhere, but they focused on this. Here they are in the ruins of Jerusalem, the city of Zion torn down, rubble everywhere, 70 years a build-up of dust and rubble with destruction under their feet. But instead of being bitter, they praise God. In verse 4 we read, Then in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. In the midst of their affliction, in the midst of their fear, they shouted aloud for joy. They were going to praise God from the heart. In verse 11, with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. Forever God is faithful. Forever God is true. And all the people, it says here in verse 11, all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundations of the house of the Lord was laid. There was a big lesson from the exile. It was a tough lesson. From here on, from that moment on, after the exile, idol worship, paganism will no longer be a problem for the Jews. From that moment on, they all have other issues, but paganism, idol worship, will no longer be an issue. God was coming first, and they remembered God's faithfulness. Profound praise bubbled up from inside. And why did they start with the altar? Because of their hope for the future, verses 12 to 13. I find this passage one of the most realistic, bizarre, um, you had to be there type of passages to understand. Uh, Let me explain. Let's read the passage first. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundations of this temple being laid. While many others shouted for joy. And no one could distinguish the sounds of the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping. Because the people made so much noise. And the sound was heard far away. You need to understand that Middle Eastern people tend to be very expressive. Alright? If you know Middle Easterners, if you've been to the Middle East, you will know what I mean. There is no, well, the English are very stoic, you know. Stiff upper lip, you know. They don't know whether you're happy or sad, happy or glad. No. Oh, 
know, in the Middle East, a bit like South Americans, they will, you know, when they're joyful, they'll be joyful. And when they're sad, you're really going to know about it. And when they're angry, wow, you're really going to know about that. So, very expressive. And, and there's no stoic reaction here because they wear their heart on their sleeve. They are either joyful or sorrowful, one extreme or the other. And here what we have, the older folk who could remember the old temple, its grandeur and its glory, and that would have been quite old by now, right? They, they saw what was, what was starting to get built, what was going to be replaced with. And the new house in comparison with the old one was, as Haggai chapter 2 verse 3 says, was as nothing. You can't even compare it guys, come on. We've got this three bedroom shack when we used to live in a mansion, right? We've got a granny flat compared to what it was, right? And, and, and perhaps the difference wasn't so much as a dimension, but it was also, also had to do with the quality of the, the handiwork. Yes, they had help from outside, but the materials, just the quality of the stuff just wasn't there. Solomon employed the best workmen. Here they had to use what was given them. But they could find there was scarcity of materials. Meanwhile, the younger generations... Right? Gen Z, whoever they are, millennials, they had nothing to compare it with the past because they didn't know what the other temple, there were no photos. You couldn't go back on Facebook and see what the old temple looked like. They had nothing to compare it with, so it was all new to them. So there was this obvious generational gap here between young and old. Some were crying and singing the old hymn, you know, Abide With Me. Abide with me. They were just crying. They were sad. They were weeping aloud. While the younger ones were shouting, How great is our God? In the end... It's all mixed up, isn't it? The joys and the tears, the shouts and the weeping, all mixed up together, put into a blender, and everybody heard from outside, just heard this big noise. What is going on? Isn't that what life is about? Isn't it? That's exactly what life is about. That's, that's what the church is about. It's, you know, what are we going to do? We're going to look at the past and the glories of the yesteryear? We're going to look to the future. And, and, and in the end, the tears, the joy, it's all mixed in the moment. In the present. Past is gone, the future we don't know, but all we have is the present. You've got to deal with it. This generation. 
So here they, they, they started with the altar. They would get around to building the temple, which displayed physically who they were, and that God was their focus. And finally they would get to building the walls, displaying, you know, the strength and also their need for defense and protection. Eventually the city would be built, people will be working, they will be planting their gardens, their crops, they will be having children, commerce would start, but they had to put first things first. As the saying goes, the past is a great place to visit, but a terrible place to live in. As Christians, we don't look back to the old sacrificial system of the Old Testament for our salvation. We see that old system as laying the foundation and pointing to Jesus Christ. And our Father laid his Son on the altar in the shape of a cross in a place called Calvary as a sacrifice for humankind demonstrating for once and for all just how much he loved us. That his love never ceases, his mercy endures forever. And remember that if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. The old things have passed away, behold new things have come. What a wonderful and living hope we have in Christ who has become for us the perfect altar, the perfect sacrifice. And no, the church doesn't belong to the past, the present or the future. The church belongs to God who purchased it with his blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. Therefore, we must seek him first before all things. And may the Lord bless us in our work. Amen.